0: This episode of No Wrong Answers is brought to you by the Kauffman Foundation, which invests in educators and lifts up the Kansas City region and is dedicated to learning together to improve educational and economic success. Learn more at Kauffman.org. In this Me Too moment, what are we saying to boys to help them understand things like sexual harassment and consent? Turns out, not very much. Also, we get the behind the scenes scoop of an infamous blacklist of former employees in Arizona school districts secretly kept for decades. And could you pass the U.S. citizenship test? Our teachers say yes, I think. All those topics plus kids these days on this episode of the No Wrong Answers Podcast. Welcome to No Wrong Answers, the weekly podcast that gives you a teacherly take on the world. I'm your host, Kyle Palmer. I'm a former teacher turned journalist, and I'm joined as always by a group of hardworking teachers on this day in snowy Kansas City. Uh, so it's been a little bit of a adventure getting them here, but we are here in one form or another, so we'll introduce them. Rebecca McIntosh, what do you
1: teach?
2: I teach students at the alternative school, kindergarten through fifth grade.
1: David Pursley, what do you teach? I teach high school math and computer science.
0: And we have another David, David Muhammad, and he's joining us by FaceTime because of the snowy weather conditions and some car issues. But David Muhammad, thank you for being here via FaceTime. What do you teach?
3: I teach high school economics and international relations.
0: So two Davids and Rebecca, all of them are educators at public schools or public charter schools in the Kansas City metro area. Well, let's get to it. Uh, We've talked on No Wrong Answers a lot in recent weeks about the ongoing Me Too movement and how it's affecting schools, teachers, and kids. We want to have a different conversation along the same lines, this time focused on what the last few Me Too months have done for the way we teach and interact with boys. The global nonprofit ProMundo, which works to promote gender equality worldwide, Recently published a survey of more than 3,000 men between the ages of 18 and 30 in the United States, the U.K. and Mexico, trying to measure their views about manhood. Among other findings, nearly half, between 42 and 48 percent, said they had teased someone, another man or woman, in the month prior to taking the survey. One-third of the men in the U.S. and U.K. admitted to having posted a message or a photo online in order to harass um, another man or woman in the previous month. The same proportion, roughly one third of men in the U.S. and U.K. admitted to having made sexually harassing comments to a woman they did not know in a public place in the previous month. Now, the Promundo authors point out this still leaves a majority of men who do not do these things, or at least do not admit to doing these things. But they ask, what makes the harassers do them? The survey goes on to poll the men on what the authors call. 17 attitudinal statements of toxic masculinity asking the men their level of agreement to statements like this guys should act strong even when they feel scared or nervous or a real man would never say no to sex the poll found that the men who agreed with more of those 17 statements were 10 times as likely to have engaged in harassing behavior a prominent board member gary barker wrote recently For the New America Foundation, quote, the challenge for the Me Too movement is that sexism, daily lived and practiced sexism and misogyny, is in the proverbial water. We feed it to our sons and to our daughters all the time. To sustain the momentum against sexual violence, we must address a simple fact that we make boys into harassers every day, end quote. So I want to acknowledge straight away a culture of misogyny and sexual violence, of course, takes its heaviest toll on women and girls. They are the victims mostly, and we have had. That conversation, or at least tried to in the past, and we'll continue to explore ways to keep having it in relation to our teachers' experience. And This conversation that we want to have today will focus on how we teach and mentor boys in this Me Too moment. I want to start with that last line of Gary Barker's that I read. He is part of the organization that did that survey of men. We, as in society, make boys into harassers every day. Do you find that assertion to be true, and, and what may that look like in schools?
1: I mean, the language is a bit harsh, but I, I would say we do, I think, create young boys who grow up to be harassers. Not, not quite in the way that we're, like, obviously explicitly telling them to do it, but there's a subversiveness there that kind of just permeates, you know. And, and so I think that's evident in the fact that when I do try to engage boys with, with this stuff, a lot of the time they're dismissive of it. Right. And they make it seem like it's not a bigger issue than what it is. then I find myself really being like, no, like, we're going to have this conversation.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think what we have is a culture of allowing things to slide. Because if you look at the culture of boys in high school, especially, you've got things like prom and homecoming that put boys in position to feel like I think they almost as if they are in ownership of girls, if that makes sense. Um, It's as if, like, okay, who can I go find to take, right? Like, and she's mine, you know, in that that instance. And we kind of reward these guys, you know, especially the, the athletes and such, for being in ownership, to some extent. And I think within the walls of the classroom, very rarely do I see boys being rude, overtly. Like, a lot of times, they'll be fairly polite, because they're around me as a male figure, I can say that um, I was guilty of it too, you know, when I was in middle school, high school. Especially, I don't know, maybe within black male culture, it's like, you, we call it spitting game, right? Like, it's, it's like complimented for you to be that way not realizing that she might not want that attention you know but when you're in a group setting and i think that's what it really is it's the group mentality it's the pack mentality like most of these guys when they're by themselves they're cowardly they won't act like that but when they get around their friends and their peers then they're empowered by that pack and there's already men are already in position of power but when you put them in a group you know, then it's like, yeah, do it, man. Like, go for it. Like, and, and then if she doesn't like it, you just laugh it off. You know, and then she's in a position where she's outnumbered. And what is she going to say? You know, what is she going to do? And um, especially if he's somewhat popular, like, she really is at a, at a lost end. She might feel like she has to respond to it or she better not say anything. And that I think that starts young. That starts middle school you know, high school, once they start getting a little bit of, you see the social class separation of this is who's important and this is not, you start to see people utilize that power and abuse that power.
0: Uh, well, that makes me think, I mean, Rebecca teaches elementary age kids. Do you start to see the types of behaviors or or, or, or models of the types of behaviors that, that the two Davids are talking about Absolutely. here in high school when and, you're in, in the elementary grades?
2: And listening to the Davids really made me think we throw these kids out there to to kind of navigate these situations these kind of antiquated situations yeah. homecoming and court warming and these these social situations without any support you know without any kind of here's the correct way or here's a better way it it makes me think of, of something mr barker said in the article from that you mentioned earlier about how um the external factors the the internet will be the only teacher if we're not mm-hmm. you know and so i think we we see that at the elementary level. We've done a good job about integrating gender equality in literature and yeah. we do our we do our instruction very intentionally so that there's there's gender equality there. And I think kids are good about that. They yeah. know girls can be doctors. They know girls can run track. But when it comes to the social situations, when yeah. it comes to those interpersonal interactions, we don't do that with intentionality. Well, there, is, there is that. And and I think that's that catches us.
0: Well, there is that kind of, there is that dichotomy, right? And that's the, that's the second time I've heard you you all mention that. It's like in class with academic stuff, intellectually speaking, they they can they can intellectualize yeah. the fact that men and women, boys and girls, are equal. They can do the same thing. They can play the same sports. They can be the same thing. They can aspire to yeah. to be doctors, as you mm-hmm. said. But there's still a very real disconnect with actually applying that same intellectualization to for instance, most prominently, romantic relationships yeah. and, and how you actually treat uh, women, how you actually treat other human beings. And there's no formal training for that. There's no... Like, we're not teaching boys about... Or girls about uh, consent or sex.
1: Yeah. So I, th- I think there's a little more nuance to this. And one of the points that um, David mentioned that really I was just kind of thinking through was, like, I was talking about, like, how when he, when he was in high school, he was kind of a go-getter. And, and I think that... There is there is a middle ground that exists where, like, you can be a confident young man who, you know, goes for it, right? Like, being respectful and politely, like, asking a young lady on a date. I think where things get tricky is, like, when a boy gets rejected, how do they respond to that, right? Do they become retaliatory, right? Do they become offended or think, like, oh, how dare you not tell me yes, right? Like, like it's I think it's much more dealing with, like, the response or, like, the reaction to their interaction, even if they're coming at it from the right place, like, knowing, like... You know, they are. If they say no, then you know, take that lump and move on. And I don't think I don't think a lot of boys know how to do that well. And then, like, you know, they start. I don't want to say fostering resentment, but almost thinking like, you know, they're like playing hard to get or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they assert themselves even more. And then that's how you know things unravel. Yeah,
0: David Muhammad. Yeah,
3: it's funny. I was talking to my wife about this last night. We were kind of having a conversation about men empowered. I think men are not really taught how to deal with embarrassment you know, or, like, not getting what they want, you know, we're not, we're very rarely put in positions where we're not dominant, you know, and I think that, like, there's this facade that, like, Title IX and, you know, reading stories of putting women's in power, you know, or Women History Month is going to, like, educate boys on how to treat young ladies. I think it goes much deeper than that, because, you know, that's curriculum-based, and so within the confines of academia, a, a male can play it very safe. You know, I know what I need to write because I want to get the right school in an the essay. I know how I need to speak because I don't want to, you know, disrupt the classroom environment, you know, and I'm not going to go to the, how many boys go to the girls' basketball game? You know what i mean, saying? So, like, so it's like, it's, it's not It's not a culture of teaching them how to respect young ladies. Like, And there's there's got to be a space that's created for that. I think that as schools, if we want to play an active role in it, then it has to go much deeper than quotes, and curriculum. It has to become something where you set aside time to bring in role models to put boys in a position of discomfort where it's just them alone. You know, have a male-only class where you talk about, you know, if you can have a health class, I don't see why you can't have a, um, what's the word on the before? you know, a, a character development class or something of that nature where you you talk to boys about like, okay, you're, you're 15, 16 years old now. Like what's going through your mind? What are your thoughts? Like you're going on dates. What are your expectations? And let them just talk and be raw and, and voice some of their opinions and then have somebody there who can coach them through that and, and challenge them. And there's no space for that because we got to get the curriculum more, you know? And so then they're never put in the position to really be asked that, you know, especially if they're not being taught, taught that at home.
2: And so often those conversations in, in class and in school, are reactionary mm, and not
3: yeah.
1: proactive. Proactive, definitely, absolutely. So we
2: see something happen, we see a co- an interaction, yeah. and we react to it, and we're ready to react. Yeah, but we weren't on the front end of that, um, working with the bystanders, working with the rest of that social circle, mm-hmm. to be ready for when it happens. Yeah, I mean, we know what to say afterwards, but we are not good at what to say before. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like in the last few months with the 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 cultural attention that's been put to the Me Too movement that that it, within your own schools has had any effect on how boys and girls interact or how you try to counsel and mentor boys um, has that had any has that moved the dial at all in the, in the last few months at your schools?
3: I think if anything, the boys at my school, when stuff like this happens, I think they get scared to get in trouble, so they just get more careful. But until in classrooms we have active conversations, I think that they'll just. Sometimes people get quiet so they don't say the wrong thing. That's what I see. It's just like with racism and stuff. Like, okay, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to say the wrong thing. Well, that's not making you any better. Yeah, I was, you
0: know? was going to say that doesn't necessarily sound like a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> no, right? they just yeah. get quiet, you know. Right. So
3: he might have those thoughts, but he's just not going to say anything, yeah. you know. And and so it's quiet, and maybe the incidents don't happen at school, but they'll come out eventually, you know. And that's the scary thing.
0: Uh, Well, it probably will not be the last conversation we have about Me Too, and uh, we continue to to think about different ways to engage in this conversation. So thanks for uh, this conversation today. Our podcast is sponsored by the Kauffman Foundation, learning together with families, educators, entrepreneurs, and innovators to develop quality education that prepares all of Kansas City students for the future of learning and work. Join the conversation by visiting Kaufman.org or on Twitter at kaufmanfdn. For years in the Tucson Unified School District in Tucson, Arizona, there were rumors the district kept a secret blacklist of former employees, people whose names were on this list. The rumors went would not be hired for jobs in the district. Some even called the list the Tucson District's jackalope, something mythical and much discussed but never actually seen. Well, it turns out the blacklist was, in fact, reality. The Arizona Daily Star recently uncovered an actual do-not-hire list the district kept for decades that contains the names of some 1,400 former employees, most of them, at least 900 of them, according to the paper, on the list for seemingly frivolous reasons. They had, for instance, used all their vacation time, they had once received a poor evaluation or they had a personality clash with an administrator. The district's new superintendent, who is the one who finally acknowledged the existence of this do not hire list, says it may have begun two decades ago as a well-meaning attempt by district officials to identify people not fit for the classroom, but morphed into something far more uncontrolled and even vindictive. Tucson Unified Schools now faces the real possibility of legal trouble. Lawyers and officials with the Arizona attorney general's office say if anyone on the list can prove they were not hired because they were on the list, then they likely have grounds for a lawsuit against the district. The reporter who broke this story for the Arizona Daily Star is Hank Stevenson, and he joins us now by phone. Hank, thanks for joining us.
4: Thanks
0: for having me on, Kyle. Uh, What were some reasons that you found that former employees were on this list? I I mentioned that some of them might appear to be fairly frivolous, but what what were some of the reasons they were on this list?
4: You know, so what what we got from the code was uh, kind of uh, there's uh, a column in a spreadsheet that explains the reason that people were not hired. Um, And there were kind of a a variety of codes that could be entered in there, um, things kind of ranging from uh, a question mark they actually put into some of the fields where, you know, clearly nobody really knew why this person was on there. A lot of them didn't have anything in there. And then some of them were, you know, seemingly serious uh, problems. Uh, People had had their teacher certificate revoked for a felony conviction, things like that. So it really was across the board all sorts of different reasons that could land you on this list. But I think the problem was there was no real process, no real oversight. Um, So while, you know, one person might end up there for a felony conviction, another might end up there for mouthing off to their principal.
0: Yeah. have you have you talked with individuals who say that they think they didn't get hired because they were on this list
4: yeah yeah and i think that's the most common thing you know and people are 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 really frustrated uh that they still don't know for sure that they were on this list you know a lot of people think they weren't hired for various positions um especially you know there's a lot of I've heard a lot of stories from veteran teachers who kind of towards the end of their uh, their career had a change in principle. Um, somebody came in and they just butted heads, uh, you know, personality conflicts. And they decided to leave that particular school and look for a new job at another school and just could never get hired again. Uh, I think that's the most common thing that people have called me and told me uh, since the story ran. And they think they're on the list. Uh, many, many people think they're on this list. Um, but, you know, it, until the district has officially released the names on this list, uh, very few of them uh, can confirm it.
0: And we should be clear, and we have a union rep at the table, I mean, uh, putting someone on a list because they had a personality clash with uh, an administrator, um, that's illegal.
2: <laughs> well, Arizona does have, you know, the, a law against blacklisting, but... what's familiar to us here in Missouri, Arizona is also a so-called right-to-work state. So Mm -hmm. these teachers have very little due process rights, um, you know, under whatever system's in place.
0: Do they? I mean, yeah. I mean, Hank, do you find that that could possibly complicate a a legal case that anyone could bring Is if, you know, maybe their due process process rights under Arizona law were not violated?
4: You know, it's hard to say. I've talked to a couple of Attorneys about this, um, and they all say, "Well, we've got blacklisting statutes, uh, you know, on the books. Um, very few of them can recall any sort of case ever being brought um, based on these these laws, um, or can really even game out, you know, what how exactly it would it would work in court, um, what you'd have to prove to say this is a blacklist." Um, but you know, the the definition of the law seems pretty clear. Um, it is basically writing down a name or passing a name even verbally of, uh, uh, of people in order to prevent them from being hired. That's the definition of blacklisting. Um, it seems that this very clearly falls underneath it. Uh, but as far as like bringing a suit, I've I, it just doesn't happen very often. Um, So I haven't found anyone who's actually, you know, prosecuted one of these cases before or or attempt to even, you know, get changes. So uh, I I don't know how it it would play out in court, honestly.
0: I mean, school districts have a lot of problematic uh, procedures and, and processes in place that need to be examined.
4: Yeah, yeah, I just, I mean, I guess what kind of surprised me was that this was real, um, to be honest. It, <laughs> right. it kind of sounded like uh, like this m- might be one of, the, one of the many things you hear as a reporter that contains a kernel of truth. Maybe there was a person or two put on this blacklist wrongly. Um, that was a real big surprise to me because I thought that there would have been some sort of oversight over these years. Um, somebody would have caught this and brought it out into the light. Um, and it's just kind of surprising to me that it didn't in such a big school district. Um, you know, with so many people allegedly paying attention, um, that this could go on for that long. It's just kind of mind boggling to me. Uh,
0: Well, Hank Stevenson, uh, education reporter with the Arizona Daily Star in Tucson. Thank you so much for joining us and telling us about your story. Thank
4: you. Well, thanks for having me on. Well,
0: on to our final segment. Lawmakers in Iowa are currently debating House Bill 573 which would require Iowa high school students to pass a basic citizenship test in order to graduate. The proposed test in this bill would take questions from the same citizenship test immigrants must take and pass in order to become naturalized citizens of the U.S. Representative Walt Rogers, a Republican, is the sponsor of the bill. He's quoted in the Des Moines Register as saying, quote, it's common sense that kids should have an understanding of basic U.S. civics. The proposal would ask students 10 questions. They would have to get six right, 60 percent, in order to fulfill the graduation requirements. Similar bills have been debated but not passed in Iowa in other years. And several other states, including Missouri, where no wrong answers tapes have similar requirements that students must take a civics test of some kind in order to graduate. According to the Education Commission of the states, at least eight states have such requirements. Missouri's, I have to say, appears particularly onerous. Students in Missouri have to take a 100-question test in order to graduate um, but no passing standard is articulated in that law, I should say. So um, they might just have huh? to take it. That's for a different – that subjects for a different, different time. time. <laughs> so uh, we are going to have a, a bit of fun with this topic. We want to test our teachers at the table on their knowledge of basic civics. Mm-hmm. Uh, but first, I just wanted to, to ask you, in general, do you like this idea of requiring students to take a civics test? I mean, how does it strike you?
2: Well – I'm going to come down on it's a a good idea that is horribly skewed by non-educators. The Education Commission of the States is not a real thing. It's a think tank. It's the governor's groups that get together. It's it's not teachers. It's not educators. And so this is a good idea. Um, Good civics instruction is critical. It's important. But let us teach it. Don't have us test it no, I... at the end. It's one more high-stakes test that we put on our kids at the end of the year. Um, but it's not instruction. It's not a conversation mm, about democracy and how our government oh, works. Yeah. It's not a conversation about participating and, and what things mean and how to how the system affects their lives. And so I don't want to sound shrill, but it's too late for that. So it's a good <laughs> idea gone bad. I think it's...
1: Yeah, I guess, it's okay, maybe this is a matter of semantics, but I agree with you, but I would say it's a terrible idea to the extent that, like, teaching civic engagement in civics in general is crucial. I think a test is a terrible way of doing that, just like I think a test is not the best way of trying to measure comprehension for a lot of different things, yet we still do it, conversation for another time. But, you know, I guess you could argue that some of those points are important, but... I think it's a lot more important to try oh, to we're gonna
0: we're gonna find out how important in just a few seconds. <laughs> <laughs> David Muhammad, this. you are the government. <laughs> you are the you are the government teacher at the table. What do you think of this idea of, of testing students yeah, this is, on okay. their okay. on their civics?
3: Well I don't teach government anymore, I teach international relations. Yeah. But I think it's another form of segregation, to be honest. Mm. Like you test people like that over like yeah. citizenship, like yes. you there's there's gonna be so many imperfections uh, that you that you can segregate a kid by, I think more than anything, you know, civic engagement is you getting out in the community. I can understand if you said that, you know, before you graduate, you need to do so much community service, you know, and be aware of your environment that you are in, or find, you know, if you're as a senior, you know, especially maybe at a school that's um, in a certain income level, or whatever. Like what? Are your envisions of ways to improve the community, like getting them thinking on a higher level about their their place in society. Like what happened to humanities classes? What happened to classes where we put kids in a position that said, okay, I'm, I want to get a job, I'm getting this education, but then how am I going to use that to become a better citizen? That's more important mm-hmm. than you trying to pass this test. And I'm sure that there's some poor kid who's an English, English language learner, who feels a lot more uh, a part of their community than a test can portray. Or, you know, a kid who might feel, like, torn about their citizenship. Or what if they've had a poor education upbringing, you know, or their reading levels are low. Like, that doesn't, that doesn't mean they can't be a good citizen. So when you put words like citizenship and, you know, civic engagement and say that it's going to be aligned to a test, and now you can't graduate, now we're disenfranchising people who might need it the most, right? Like, the very kid who doesn't pass is the one who was maybe struggling to, to not graduate from my, to try to graduate from high school, and now you're putting this other barrier there. And now, you know, and I, just, I could just see it affecting the people who are already at a disadvantage. It's not going to help anything.
0: Well, I have taken a few questions from the actual
1: Test we're so defensive. that, <laughs> that new, no. new citizens,
0: citizens try to become naturalized, mm-hmm. take in order to, to take that test, which is now the model for the Iowa bill um, mm-hmm. being debated right now in the Iowa State House to give to high school seniors, and I think which is also the basis for several other states right now that, that do have a civics um, requirement in their graduation. Uh, so instead of throwing out the question, I'm going to do it one by one. So I'm going to ask <laughs> each of you individually, give you a chance to answer the question. They're multiple choice. So you have choices. Mm. Okay. The
2: real test is not multiple <laughs> yeah. choice.
1: Oh, is it not? No. Okay. The, okay. Mm. So do you not
2: want the, the choices? Real test.
0: <laughs>
1: like <laughs> Do you not want the Yeah, I mean, we the can choice. vote on it as a group <laughs> <laughs> majority. All
0: right. I'll so maybe, so uh, I, won't, I won't give you the choices. Since Rebecca said that. Don't
2: give me... I don't want the choices. (laughs) Rebecca (laughs) doesn't want the choices.
0: All right, so Rebecca, we'll start with you. Uh, What is one promise you make when you become a United States citizen?
2: You promise to defend the Constitution.
0: Yes, or give up loyalty to your other country.
2: There's there's a lot of them. Um, Defend the Constitution, um, obey the federal laws, (laughs) give up your loyalty to a former country...
0: Any of those. You only had to give work? one. Ding, okay. ding, ding. All yeah, we right. <laughs> had them all. David Persley, name one war fought by the United States in the 1900s. World War I. Ding, ding, ding. All right, good. This is starting promisingly. <laughs> you made the faith. David, <laughs> David <the> faith. <laughs> <laughs> I'm nervous now. David Muhammad, <laughs> two for two so far. One. What does the judicial branch do? They
3: determine legalities and... what's right in society with, like, cases and such?
0: I'll give it to you. (laughs) (laughs) Reviews reviews, laws, uh, decides if laws are constitutional. uh, Resolves the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Rebecca, what is the political party of the president now?
2: Our current president says he's a Republican.
0: A little bit of a nuance there, but yes, Republican (laughs) is... The party of the current president. <laughs> David Persley, how many justices are on the Supreme
1: Court? Currently, I believe there are seven. Oh, is <laughs>
0: nine is oh. the correct answer. Now remember, you can still graduate with a 60%. David Muhammad. Uh, this is the last one, and this will be a good one for all of us here oh, at the table. Goodness. Under our Constitution, some powers belong to the states. What is one power of the states? Oh, uh... Hint, you are a teacher.
3: <laughs> oh,
0: to control the education. Yes. <laughs> <You>
2: provide, <laughs> provide their Bye-bye students Robert.
0: education. It Bye-bye doesn't Robert.
2: feel that way. No, <laughs> it say. does
0: uh well,
2: did I we pass? That. Did we graduate? We, you passed.
0: All of you passed. Yeah. Fine. There you go. So that
2: makes teachers crazy, Mr. Palmer, <laughs> because they're not good questions. <laughs> if, if we're gonna give a test, at least design a good test. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, stay tuned. We're gonna do kids these days after the credits. This episode of No Wrong Answers is sponsored by the Kaufman Foundation. No Wrong Answers retains total editorial control in what our teachers say are their personal opinions which may not reflect the official policies of the schools and districts they work for. Like us at Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Just search for the No Wrong Answers podcast by Fountain City Frequency. Find us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And once you do, subscribe and leave us a review. It helps. There are no other podcasts like ours giving you a teacherly take on the world. If you've enjoyed this conversation, subscribe. Leave us a review and keep the conversation going. Now, kids these days... Uh, David Muhammad, I'll start with you because you're on my phone for FaceTime and I see the power is running out. So David Muhammad, (laughs) what are your, what are your kids into these days?
3: I always feel like I have a dance, but literally we just had our Sadie Hawkins dance where it's women women pay all. And, uh, that was like the, the only thing everybody was focused on the entire week was where you were going to dinner and what you were going to wear. And I had girls dress shopping in my class instead of doing assignments. So kids these days.
0: They're still doing Sadie Hawkins dances. Oh, huh? yeah. Big yeah. deal. Yeah. David, personally, what are your kids into?
1: Um, a lot of my young ladies who have braids are getting, like, single stripes of various colors in one of their braids. And, like, I saw a few students doing it now. It's, like, catching on, like, wildfire. And some of them have some, like, pretty eclectic um, braid hairstyles going on. It's pretty neat. It's pretty, pretty artistic. So. I'm sure we'll only the the ante will only be up. No, yes, no, up, it's so. gonna. Yeah. It's yeah. only gonna. I will get worse, but continue happening <laughs> <up> from here. <laughs> uh, Rebecca, what are your kids into?
2: Um, my students this week were caught in the tractor beam that is the lunar eclipse, blue moon, blood moon, super moon, and now three inches of snow. The <laughs> meteorological <laughs> factors that. <sighs> affected us this week were impressive.
0: And we we should say for the Kansas City area and for other parts of America, you could see there's three uh, lunar phenomena happening at once. It was the supermoon. It was especially close. A blue moon, second full moon of... Uh, of the month of the and a blood moon which was uh, kind of a, it's a lunar eclipse that where the the earth shadow is cast on the moon so it gives it a little bit of a reddish tint so all three of those happened at once one morning this past week and in Kansas elementary
2: City. teachers understand that that's real science that affects your kids yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it no. I affects mean, high schoolers too completely okay. oh. that's a real thing yes. that we endure absolutely
0: you see it you see a change in behavior
1: yes yes
2: Definitely. Like, 100%. I, can say I say like,
3: think get my wife.
2: <laughs> I can say that with a straight face. <laughs> like werewolves. It's, it's kind of, I mean, like people they... People become jittery and shaky yeah. and emotional. It's just like
1: if it rains outside, mm-hmm. like, completely throws off the kids. Like, it, there is a yeah. difference. But it's not sunny, the ends will rain, everyone's lost their minds by the end of the day. I
2: don't have the data, but I, no, I support it's that, impar- that science. It's empirical. Okay.
0: <laughs> you guys are talking about your kids like they're, they're frogs or... <laughs> Some kind of terrarium. Love a new no? death. Don't want to say anything about that, Rebecca? Uh-huh. Okay. Thanks to our teachers this week Rebecca McIntosh, David Muhammad, and David Persley. Thanks as always to Matt Hodup, who produces the podcast. Thank you to KCUR 893 Kansas City Public Radio, where we tape. And remember, kids, be nice to your teachers.